podcast, where we discuss all things agile software development and delivery. In our Too Long Didn't Read series, we provide short, practical advice on how to get stuff done. So don't expect deep discussions, but step-by-step, hands-on DIY advice that will make your life easier. Today I'm going to talk to you about status reporting, what it is, and practical tips on how to get the most out of them. So what is it? Well, status reports are, like they say on the tin, they're ways to report out the status of your project. Typically, they're filled out by delivery leads or delivery managers, and they report back to the program about how the status is doing and is a communication tool to send to upper management and really anybody that has an interest in the project, uh, any stakeholders. So what are the practical things you need to take into account when creating a status report? Well, typically you have the team name and date at the top. It's important to uh, make sure you communicate the date so you know if you're looking back at old status reports, what's changed, etc. At the top, there's usually a summary section where the delivery lead can tell you about the current state of the project and set the context. Next, I like to put risks and blockers and highlight those really early on because Those are the things that management can help out with. Those are the things that managers are usually um, concerned about. And also, they, again, help to set the context. And you don't want to bury the lead. You want to make sure in the summary, in the risk and blockers, if you get through that, then you should know, really, what the challenges are in the project. Sometimes there's an overall reg status that's mixed in there. Uh, reg is a red, amber, green, uh, sort of traffic light status. You know, red being very bad, amber being things are, you know, okay, but they're heading in a, in a not great direction or there's some major risks. And green means that everything's on track. Reg statuses aren't always usually useful because Nine times out of ten, the, the status of the project is going to be in amber for eternity, and it will never go green until the very end. Red might be useful to just kind of have a, a, a big red light saying that, you know, this project's definitely gone off the rails. So after the risks and blockers, I usually like to have something like some charts that show the progress of how you're getting along, either with the release or the feature. So I'll usually include a burn-up chart there versus a burn-down chart. So a burn-up chart is, uh, it shows the amount of story points that you're burning up towards. So there's a line at the top that shows your total scope, and then your line burning up to it is kind of a line chart that shows how much you've done, and that's heading in the direction of meeting the scope line. A burned down chart isn't quite as good. It's the same thing in the opposite direction where you're taking total scope and you're burning down. But the downside to a burned down chart is it doesn't show you changes in scope the same way that a burn up chart does. So, you know, a burn up chart will show you that scope line creeping up if new requirements are coming in. So that's why I prefer a burn up chart versus a burn down chart. Another thing I like to use is stack to bar charts. So maybe for a specific feature or for a release, You can show how many are uh, story points in the backlog and analysis uh, being in development. 
in QA and then finally done. So you can sort of see gradients about how much of the total scope is in any one of those columns. And that kind of gives you an overall idea about what the flow of the project is. Another thing you can use is a cumulative flow diagram, which shows again, kind of, it's similar to that stacked bar chart, except it's flowing over time and it'll show if anything's pooling in any one particular area. So the idea behind using that is if you're in some sort of Kanban type situation, or just generally to know, you know, how the flow is through the, the different um, swim lanes, you'll use a, a cumulative flow diagram to show if it's pooling in any one spot. So you, you might know to make a decision then to put more resources in where it flows from. I always like to show what's happening next. So if we're showing the current status through charts and, and et cetera, I always like to sort of say, hey, this is what's coming up next. Either maybe a set of stories or a set of epics that are on deck to play next so people can see what's coming down the line. Sometimes you can also include things like uh, team feedback from the last retro. If you want to highlight things uh, that are blocking the team or, may go, or actions that may make them move faster, and maybe even list team changes, you know, people coming and going from the team. That's always a nice thing to add to sometimes. So people aren't blindsided by changes in the team. Lately, I've also been thinking more that status reports might be good to actually break them up into mini status reports on, on a per future basis. So instead of burning up towards a, a grand release, you actually can re have a little mini status report on each feature in that release. The nice thing about that is it's more suitable for a CI/CD or a continuous delivery model where you're actually releasing features often or as soon as they're ready. So by reporting on features themselves rather than like a whole release, then you can communicate out to different stakeholders when that feature is going to be released and that's a good thing. And you can do that alongside an overall release burnup. So in summary, above all, you really want to be concise on status reports. You want it to be all killer and no filler, as I say. Um, you really don't want it to be too long because, you know, people aren't going to want to read it. One thing you want to consider when writing status reports is the tone of voice. You really want it to be matter of fact and factual rather than emotive. Uh, what this means is you want to really show what the status is and don't tell them what the status is. You really want to make the reader um, make up their own mind about the status of it by examining the facts that you present. This doesn't mean that you don't highlight facts that you think are important, but you know, instead of saying something like this project's a disaster or something like that, you show that by showing what the effect of certain risks are or showing the, it through graphs or different data points you know, that you're going to miss the deadline or, or what, what it is that you're trying to highlight. So tone of voice is really important in SAS reports. And finally, uh, if you come at it with the right perspective and use it as a communication tool, status reports can be really effective. Again, you shouldn't be just going through the motions and creating a status report that nobody's ever going to read. That's missing the point. And my last thought is that you really always want to be truthful in status reports. You don't want to gloss over things. You don't want to leave things out um, because it'll only come back and bite you in the end. So 
be complete, be concise, be truthful, be matter of fact, and then you'll have a, a good status report and people will really appreciate that. That's it for today's episode. Have a look at our show notes with related information and details on how to get in touch at thebarnup.com. We are listener-driven, so please do send us your questions, comments, and ideas for new episodes. We're both practitioners and are happy to discuss interesting opportunities from consulting to coaching to getting involved in actual projects. For inquiries, please visit burnupmedia.com. This podcast is produced by Burnup Media Limited under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license, which means you can share it as long as you give credit cannot change it or make money of it. Until next time, thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.